Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again today. I hope that everyone has been able to enjoy what might be the last few days or weeks of this beautiful weather before it starts to get cold. At least here in the Midwest, that's what's going to happen. So today we have another easy topic, no heavy brain work today. Just like last week's topic, this is one of those things that makes perfect sense once someone spells it out, but it might not otherwise be obvious, at least not immediately. And the topic of boundaries is closely related to the topic of rules, imaginary or otherwise. I know everyone is familiar with the concept of a boundary, and I'm pretty sure everyone has had at least a few episodes in their life of trying to enforce boundaries and failing. Things like telling someone you can't do this anymore, but they keep doing it. Or you have to do this from now on, but they don't. And then when the boundary is violated, we might be angry at the other person for whatever they did or didn't do, or we might be frustrated with ourselves for failing to effectively create and enforce a boundary. But the issue isn't with your skills or lack of skills, and it isn't really even with the other person's behavior. The issue is almost always with the construction of the boundary. There are three key ingredients to a good boundary, and you need to be very clear with yourself about these. Number one, what exactly you want to happen or not happen. Number two, what you will do if there's a violation. And number three, how you want to feel about it. Boundaries may or may not involve time limits or deadlines. They might be tiered. The other party may or may not even need to know that the boundary exists. The reason most boundaries don't work is because the way that most people think of a boundary is focusing on controlling someone else's behavior. And as we've said a thousand times already, we don't get to control other people. So therefore, most boundaries are set up to fail. Well, so what's the point then? The point is for us to have a good sense of our own needs and values and to have enough devotion to our own well-being to prevent those from being violated, or at least to reduce the chance of a predictable violation. So the first pitfall of a boundary is not being clear in your own mind about item number one, exactly what you want to happen or not happen. If you're thinking of a workplace or burnout type of example, something like, my office needs to stop abusing my schedule, is a great example of a terrible item one. It's way too vague. What does abuse mean? How do we recognize it? When does it need to stop? Is there any amount that's tolerable? What happens if they don't? You can also see that there's a lot of emotion and a, at least a little bit of a villain story here, and that's not going to be helpful. So if we try and clean it up and make it a bit more specific, something like, no overbooking my last appointment on OR days, that is a little bit better. As an aside, I don't personally have this problem. I find it far too stressful to try and do office and OR on the same day, since OR has so many wild cards. And I'm fortunate enough to work in a practice model that allows me the luxury of being able to keep those two things separate. 
I'm also fortunate enough to work in offices with very experienced triage nurses who have a very good sense of what's urgent and what isn't, and they wouldn't overbook anyone's last appointment of the day without checking with them first. But anyway, I know this is a real thing for lots of people. You have very good reasons for not wanting that spot overbooked. If you're late for the OR, it's a dissatisfier for the patient, you, and the OR staff. If you're consistently late, you might lose your start time or your whole block. So making the first part really specific, like no overbooking the last spot on OR days, it's much more measurable than abuse. But even so, there are still some potential issues. It assumes that everyone who has the ability to book and overbook patients knows the rule. And they know when the OR days are. And they know what the last spot is. But if these are all valid assumptions, it's the reasonable item one. So then we look at the second part, what you will do if there's a violation. And this is where things get a little trickier. Remembering that we can't control other people, let's assume that someone's going to break this rule and violate your boundary. What will you do? Will you see the patient anyway and just be mad about it? If that's the plan, it's not a boundary. It's not protecting you in any way. Will you see the patient anyway but file an official complaint against the scheduler or nurse who did this? If so, what might be the consequences for that person or for you? And how do you feel about that? How do you want to feel about that? Will you refuse to see the patient since it was an unauthorized overbook? Do you have that authority? If so, what might the repercussions be for you? For the patient, if you don't have the authority to refuse to see an improperly scheduled patient, what might the consequences be for you if you do it anyway? And how do you feel about that? Or maybe you're in a system that's a little bit more middle ground. Maybe you're in a place where there's generally an ask for permission first. If your rule is, I will not see overbooks the last spot on OR days, and your office staff contacts you with permission to overbook anyway, what do you want your action to be? How do you want to feel about it? Your action might be, I'll assess this on a case-by-case basis, and if I think it's acute enough to warrant being late for the OR, then I'll say yes. And if I say yes, I'm going to feel good about it because I decided the benefit for this patient outweighed the potential risks of being late for the OR. And if I say no, I'm going to feel good about that because that means I decided this was not the right course of action for whatever reason. Maybe the complaint isn't acute at all. Maybe it wasn't too acute and I offered a reasonable alternative. Maybe it was so acute that evaluation in immediate care or the emergency room was more appropriate. Whatever the reason, if your boundary is that you aren't going to say yes for any of these, you want to feel good about that plan. Again, that last part, the feeling good about it, that's the really tricky part, but it's also crucial. One of the coaches who trained me gave an example that her mother used to stop by unannounced all the time, and this was a problem for them. I don't know exactly why it was a problem, but... From her description, it sounds like it definitely wasn't a pleasant, unobtrusive pop-in type of thing. So eventually, the coach set a boundary with her mom that if she came by unannounced and uninvited, she wouldn't be allowed in the house. They would just lock the door and pretend she wasn't there. My thoughts on that? Ouch. This was a good boundary for her. It was clear and specific. The action was within her own control, and she knew how she wanted to feel about it but it would not be a good boundary for me. 
Other people can't construct your boundaries for you because they don't know what your limits are and they don't know how you feel about things or how you want to feel about things. For years, I've had an internal boundary regarding some people that I see rarely but regularly who have a history of expressing what I feel are bigoted points of view. Over the years, there have been plenty of discussions and arguments, and I'm pretty confident that neither of us is going to convince the other otherwise. So my boundary is that if they start in on things that I find offensive, I will leave, no matter what the circumstances are, even if it's my own house. Now, before you start thinking, well, that's not fair, you shouldn't have to listen to things like that in your own house, I agree, but... If I've invited people to my own home, by my own choice, and I'm aware of the possibility that they might behave this way, I really shouldn't be surprised when or if they do. I don't have to like it, and I don't have to stay to listen to it. But making them leave is another way of controlling their behavior. I can do it if I'm prepared to physically overpower someone and drag them out of the house. Now, realistically, I'm pretty sure that if someone said something offensive to me in my house and I asked them to leave, they probably would, but I can't be certain of it. If I want my boundary to be airtight, my action has to be something that I know I can control. I can leave in the middle of a meal. I can leave a vacation and book myself a hotel or fly home. And I would never go on a cruise with someone that I was worried about a situation like this. I probably wouldn't go on a cruise for many reasons, but something where I really truly could not remove myself, that's that's a no-go for me. By the way, this is an example of a boundary that the other party doesn't need to know about. It's all about what I'm willing to listen to and to tolerate and what I won't. So remember last week we talked a little bit about rules when you're in a position of authority. You need to set clear expectations, consequences for when expectations are not met, and follow through. I'm sure all of you pediatricians out there have way more expertise in this with all the parenting advice you have to give. There are a whole lot of parallels between parenting and managing. Skills for one can often be modified and adapted for the other. So remember last week I gave the example. I told the kids, if you do that one more time, I'm turning the car around. I nailed it with items one and two. Very clear and specific directive and an action that I was in complete control of. But I flubbed the third part big time because I didn't give any thought at all to how I was going to feel about this. While it was ultimately an effective method of discipline, it was an utter failure of a boundary because the whole idea of a boundary is to protect yourself from harm. And the action I chose sort of inflicted harm on me, at least in the short term. When you're constructing a boundary, you have to think through how you want to feel about it or how you're likely to feel about it. I can't overstate how important this point is. If you've made a boundary and the way you're currently thinking would make you feel lousy if you enforced it, that's not going to go well. You're either going to not enforce it and then probably judge yourself for that, or you're going to enforce it and feel lousy and then probably resent the other party and concoct a villain story about them. So you need to examine that and figure out which part needs to get cleaned up. Is it the action? Is the action somehow not congruent with your values? 
Or do you need to clean up your thinking? Are you holding back with your own self-preservation because you're trying to keep everyone else happy, even at your own expense? And even knowing that you can't make someone happy or unhappy or mad or anything because we don't control other people's emotions. It might be something that takes a bit of work to get the thought part right. You might have to do some stepping stones. If the action is one that really resonates with you as the right thing to do, figure out how you want to feel about it and then work on your stepping stones to get there. And with that, we'll wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining me. I will see you back next time. Opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.